Come on. Welcome to Life Blood. This is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Ralph Specht. Ralph, are you ready to do this? George, I'm excited to be on your show. Thank you very much for having me. So excited to have you on. Ralph is a visionary business leader. He's a sought-after speaker. He is the creator of The Soul System. He is the founding partner of Spark 44, and he is the author of Building Corporate Soul, Powering Culture, and Success with The Soul System. He is on a mission to make soulless companies a thing of the past. Again, excited to have you on, Ralph. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Absolutely, George, my pleasure. So, um, as you said, uh, I was a founding partner of a, a global marketing agency, which uh, I also led as a CEO for uh, until end of 2019, and when I stepped down, which was a big surprise for everyone. Um, I received a lot of messages from uh, many people in the organization that went far beyond the what you would expect. Uh, sad to see you leave and all of that stuff, um, but went much, much deeper. Uh, and, and those messages basically conveyed a sense of belonging that was very unique. And uh, as all of that happened shortly before Christmas, uh, I had a bit of time to reflect upon it and thought, Jesus, this is something that is actually um, too valuable to just leave it on my in my inbox uh, or on my WhatsApp account. And I thought I actually have to take this this topic uh, further. And because what I felt from those messages was, the legacy that we left wasn't just building a company from scratch to 1,200 people and 19 offices. I think the legacy was that we built a company with soul. And so I started to dig into that topic and uh, started to uh, write a book, which is Building Corporate Soul, as you just mentioned. Well, I love it. Well, I appreciate that. What was the motivator for stepping down? Well, Sometimes things uh, are not the way they they uh, are supposed to be, and so things happen, and uh, that's that's part of what what happened here. So, um, just just time to move on. Sometimes in different seasons of life. Well, I appreciate that. We were talking um, we were talking offline about how so many of folks here in the United States, and I can't speak to the way that it is in Germany, I, I suspect it's pretty similar, are not necessarily in love with the work that they're doing and don't feel that deep connection that it sounds like you were able to foster and to, 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 to create companies with soul. Uh, I'm curious what, as, as we're going through this great resignation, um, how, how, how companies are looking at why people are leaving versus how they actually, or why they're actually leaving. Well, I think it's a global phenomenon. I think it's um, something that has been um, brewing, I think, for a decade or so. Um, and I think what happened with the COVID-19 pandemic and the impact on, on remote work and, and uh, work in general has just uh, got us to a point where it's become more obvious than um, it did in the years before. So. I don't think it's just the U.S. It's not just Germany. I think it's um, everywhere. It's just 
when I hear from folks in Asia, um, something similar is happening. And the interesting, and there's many interesting elements to it, I think. One is um, the title it has been given. So um, the great resignation is one. Uh, there's been a great uh, interview a few few days, weeks ago, with the leadership from Microsoft who said, well, it's actually the great reshuffle. Mm. And I think I like that a lot uh, better than the great resignation um, because it's not that people are resigning from work forever. They're resigning from their employers and are looking for a new employer, a new company to work for. And the folks from McKinsey have just released a study in which they have looked into um, the various lenses, the ones of employees and the ones of employers. And if you look at it from the employer's lens, employers basically say the most important reason why people are resigning is because compensation is inadequate. They're saying, well, they're just looking for a better job. Um, there might be a health issue here and there, or they're being poached by another uh, company. Now, that's what I would call the traditional view of employers looking at their staff. While when you look into what employees consider reasons for resigning and, and looking for another job, it's a completely different set of things. So employees consider the most important uh, element that they're not valued by the organization, that they're not valued by their manager, that they miss a sense of belonging. Um, and then obviously there are potential for career advancements. So that's a match somewhat um, for, uh, for when you look at the employers. But the first three, I think, clearly indicate what people are looking for. And it's no surprise. And I think the, the pandemic and the fact that people have stayed at home for a long, long time has just increased that um, and, and brought it to a point where people just took action. You said, enough already. Life is too short or I, I have too many <laughs> options. And it's, 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 it's all these things. So this reshuffling, which, 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 which companies are benefiting from this reshuffle? What kinds of companies? Well, looking back into what employees are saying, managers and organizations that value their people benefit from that. And obviously, when you start looking into who are these companies, um, you get to the topic of my book, which is uh, companies with soul, companies that take the journey very seriously, companies that are clear about why they're in the business in the first place. Uh, they're clear about their vision and their mission and their entire strategy. And most importantly, they're not just clear about it, they actually behave like it, which is basically the third element of the three um, uh, levels of the soul system. Uh, that is the framework that you mentioned. So the first uh, level <clears throat> is the purpose. And I call purpose the shared purpose. And the word shared is extremely important because very often you find companies with a purpose, but you find companies that keep the purpose to themselves to a hmm. certain degree, right? So it's a wonderful PowerPoint deck, it's a wonderful text at the reception desk, um, and then it stops. So getting the purpose right and making it a shared purpose is the first step 
in, into corporate soul. The second is what I call the shared understanding. Again, it's shared because only if it's shared, people can know about it, and can act upon it. And shared understanding uh, contains the key elements of corporate strategy. So what's the vision of the company? What's the mission of the company? Which are the values? And the fourth element I've added, which I think is really critical, which is the spirit of the company, which means what's the intended culture that the owners or leaders of the company want to see happening. And that takes us to the third level of the soul system, which are the shared behaviors. And again, it's shared because it's like, what is the common practice? Uh, so what is it that if you enter a new company, you feel and see when you talk to people, when you interact with them, uh, and what is it that these uh, companies do consistently to, to ensure that there's a high level of integrity between the purpose, the understanding, and the behaviors. So as, as you were growing your firm from zero to 1,200 uh, people across all these different locations, did, did you start out saying maybe you didn't have this framework all written out, but did you just know and were intentional about it or you're just, how, 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 how did that work? Well, when we five founders um, started the journey back in 2011, uh, I remember that day we sat in a room in London um, that a friend of uh, one of our founders had uh, provided us with had five flip charts in the room and said, well, now, as we now are get, getting to go uh, and, and, and bring this baby to life, um, what is the culture that we actually would like to have? And um, that conversation was challenging. Um, and the flip charts remained empty for, for, for quite a while um, until we flopped the... Um, the question and said, which culture do we not want to have? And that sparked the whole structure of the culture that we later on then envisaged. So by basically taking our joint experiences as leaders who had been in other places for 20, 30 years um, and experienced a lot of things that we actually didn't really appreciate that much. We felt, well, now let's build an organization that doesn't have all of these things. And um, when we were done with that list and grouped them into a few buckets, it became extremely clear and it was extremely easy and simple to draft the organizational structure that we were going, going to have, which allowed us then to build a culture that was so unique and uh, allowed us to create that sense of belonging with our teams. Nice. Well, I appreciate that. So I imagine it's a lot easier to keep a great thing going than it is to stop something or to start it up. Um, but for organizations that maybe they recognize, you know what, we're, 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 we're losing some folks and Maybe we are that company that has it on the wall, but we're not really living it. What is, what's, 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 what's the starting point? What do they do? Well, I think the first moment is, or the first point is to realize that that's a, that's the issue, that that's on the table. And I just uh, had a conversation last week 
with someone who was running a workshop with the leadership of a mid-sized company. And he said, well, I had like 13 people in the room and they were all complaining about the fact that um, their people actually did not show any sign of empowerment. Mm. And then he said, well, you know, I stopped and I asked them, I said, listen, aren't you guys here in the room the ones that need to empower them? So isn't the problem with you? Don't let's not start talking about your people. Let's start talking about you and how you behave. And that's exactly what it is. Now, when I started to work on the framework, which actually only happened after um, uh, I had left, I studied uh, companies, big and small startup companies and companies that had been around for a hundred plus years. Um, to see whether there were some commonalities or whether there were um, some differences that were worth um, looking at. And I think it's fair to say um, when you look at companies with soul, you find both. You find startup companies, which obviously have one big advantage, which is the group, usually the founders still on board and the founder or the founding team, as in our case, has a significant impact on, on the culture and is pretty much the living role model that people, if the company is small, still see every day, or even if the company grows by means of technology, uh, is able to connect with people and convey the message. And there's large companies, and um, I looked at a number of large companies, and, and uh, two I think are in particular interesting. One is Lego, uh, and one is Hilton Hotels. And Lego, we might all remember, a, from our childhood, obviously, um, but then probably like 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, similar to Hilton, actually, the company had lost its track. And um, the, the leader at the time realized, actually, that they had lost their soul. And um, Hilton uh, is, is a different case, but a similar case in terms of the realization that the the basic idea of uh, great people serving great people, um, which was the, the fundament uh, that uh, Conrad Hilton uh, had put up uh, more than 100 years ago now, uh, had gone lost. And both uh, decided on the same thing. They said, well, first of all, let's um, refocus. Let's bring what we were strong about in the first place back into today's world. And obviously you can't copy paste what was right in 1920 into 2020. But what you can do is obviously take the, the key principles that were relevant. And Hilton, for example, uh, started by making sure that they focus on their employees as much as they focus on their guests. Mm. And the program that they had put in place has been so phenomenal, um, it has gotten and taken them to uh, the top ranks in great place to work um, uh, around the world. And, uh, I, and Marriott, who didn't have the issue of being in the wrong place in the first place, um, uh, now have a serious competitor um, in, in those um, criteria because Hilton have just uh, made their way up to the top again. Yeah, I appreciate that. So shared purpose, shared understanding, and then shared behaviors. And I think we've all been 
or had an experience if it's going to a Hilton or have worked for a great company where you walk in and you just know because it is it's not just that you're reading it's not just people understand it but they're actually um, they're actually demonstrating that through their behaviors so I think that that I think that that makes a lot of sense when 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 people are trying to trying to make a shift or put something like this in place I, I suppose it's an ongoing process because um, yes. it's probably never-ending. Yes, it's, it's a never-ending process because what, even if you achieve greatness today, doesn't mean you can forget about everything tomorrow. I think um, what's critical is to find a way that an organization itself not only takes things on board but actually continues to develop them as time passes, because obviously what's contemporary now is not necessarily contemporary in five or 10 years. So you always have to go with the times, but you never should get into a situation where you lose your origin and, and your source and your, your starting point. So while all of that is critical, I think the, um, the most critical element is that employers listen to their employees. And when I mean listen, it's not just open up your ears and then leave the room and forget about it, is really take it serious. And um, one of the uh, elements that I believe is fundamental to uh, bringing a company back on track with regards to its culture is to uh, connect with employees. Um, I mean, in my book, I, I call um people in the company that are actually the embodiment of that soul, um, the soul drivers. And those soul drivers are really critical. And management and leadership need to understand who they are, and they can be in every department. It's not a question of hierarchy or anything else. Um, often, it's the opposite. It's like uh, people in lower ranks uh, embody the, uh, the culture very much so, and uh, sometimes it's difficult for leaders who join the company to actually get into that culture. Uh, and I can only recommend everybody to listen to those folks, identify them, listen to them, and make sure these sole uh, drivers in the company become ambassadors in their own company, because the end result um, is so powerful. When you look at it, um, in terms of, of companies with strong corporate culture, there's a wonderful um, uh, survey that OC Tanner have um, uh, released, which is called the, uh, the Global Culture Index. And it reveals that companies, and they call it a thriving culture, which is a successful uh, corporate culture. It reveals that companies with a thriving culture are 13 times more likely to have highly engaged employees and an eight times higher incidence of great work and a double likelihood to have increased revenues. And at the same time, and we talk a lot about mental health these days, employees in thriving cultures are experiencing three times less burnout situations and the companies themselves are three times less likely to face layoffs. So it's a it's a win-win uh, approach. And um, when I said in the beginning of that OC Tenor uh, results that they're 13 times more likely to have highly engaged employees, when you look at it, what makes up uh, or what makes a great corp corporate culture, um, 
highly engaged employees are part of that. And what you get from those highly engaged employees is a, is a different level of commitment. Now, very often I'm hearing that uh, from, from company leaders and say, well, we got to do all these programs and got to bring everybody it's so expensive and all the rest of it. And I'm like, well, why is this expensive? It's not expensive at all if you look at what, what it brings. And number one and number, number two, if you do it in the first place, it actually comes for free. It only gets expensive if you have to run programs after programs to bring uh, the, the culture of the organization back to where you intended the spirit to be in the first place. So commitment actually is a free resource if leaders get it right. Amen. Love it. Well, Ralph, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? Where can they get a copy of Building Corporate Soul? Well, you get a copy of Building Corporate Soul everywhere. You get great books. Um, you can uh, pre-order online already. Um, and if you want to learn more about uh, Building Corporate Soul, there's a dedicated website, which is buildingcorporatesoul.com. And there's all about uh, the book, the program, myself, and the team that is working with me on making sure that soulless companies are a thing of the past. Love it. If you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Ralph your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Pick up a copy of Building Corporate Soul, Powering Culture and Success with the Soul System and join Ralph in his mission to get rid of soulless companies and make them a thing of the past. Thanks again, Ralph. Thank you. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight. We are all in this together. <laughs>